0: There's at least 10,000 tools, software, whatever you want to call it, platforms out there in the marketing technology space. And I've been doing a few speaking engagements around the country on Martech and AI from the perspective of, well, where do you start? How do you know what to use? And you do have to narrow the focus down for us because we consider ourselves a growth marketing agency. We're using tools. Tools and platforms that amplify growth and automate. But right now, anybody that's in marketing needs to be following along with the ChatGPT and all the different outputs that ChatGPT provides and experimenting with it. What's coming out of ChatGPT is also affecting the search engines. And so everything that we do from a marketing standpoint, putting up a website, adding content to a site, having content plans, writing social media posts, doing any ads, all of this is being impacted by ChatGPT.
1: In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers themselves and each other.
2: Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every T-shirt sized company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership, and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America.
1: Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palacio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Valerie Jennings. Valerie is the CEO of Jennings Social Media and Martech, which she founded in 2003 and has grown into a highly competitive MarTech agency. The agency specializes in paid media, SEO, content strategy, and influencer marketing, working with clients in the automotive industry, transportation logistics, healthcare, beauty, financial services, travel and tourism, technology, home services, and more. She remains a leader in the industry and is involved in the community, speaking at conferences, moderating and participating in digital panels, and speaking to community groups. You can learn more about Valerie at jsmmtech.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Valerie.
2: Val, welcome to the Corporate Couch.
0: Hey, thanks, Jeff. Good to see ya.
2: Yeah. Nice seeing you. And uh, I'm sure we're going to dig more into your career, but I want to congratulate you and your company for celebrating this month, the 20th year anniversary of Jennings Social Media. So that's uh, phenomenal. Great, great. uh,
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. So thank uh, you. Yeah. Well, start with a fun question. Uh, We've been in a pandemic three plus years now, and uh, we're recording here in June of uh, 2023. What is the craziest attire you've seen on a Zoom call or lack of attire?
0: Um, I haven't had the pleasure of experiencing any awkward zoom meetings so i'm sorry to disappoint everybody uh i'm sure uh there was plenty of shenanigans and i'm okay not knowing about them but
2: <laughs> that's funny yeah i uh yeah I, I think i told you offline that there was one guest i had I, and he said yeah there was this guy that showed up in just his underwear and I go, who was that? And he goes, oh, it was me, actually. <laughs> so, okay.
0: yeah. uh, he wanted everyone to know. <laughs> I guess. I mean,
2: yeah. So uh, that guess has not actually been published yet, but uh, I, I hopefully uh, he, he won't get mad. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah. So I want to, I want to, you grew up in Iowa, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And, uh, Growing up, what, what were some things you loved to do as a kid?
0: Oh, um, I grew up on the lake out in the country. And so in the summers we used to go canoeing. Um, my sister and I would just take the canoe out during the day and, um, you know, go over to the rocks and spend the day swimming and, um, sometimes we'd go fishing, um, but that lake was kind of our, uh, oasis, uh, in the summer months. And we, uh, really enjoyed that, um, natural freedom. Uh, it's something that, you know, I'm sad, Alexa doesn't have that same experience, but, uh, I really, as an adult, really appreciate it now you know as a kid it kind of felt a little lonely right Right. because we're way out there and but you know as an adult you kind of miss some of that natural beauty and tranquility when um we get busy with life so but yeah um just it it was it was very wholesome you know growing up that way
2: very nice and just to be, uh, be clear alexa is your daughter correct yeah
0: Yes. Yeah. She's my daughter. I just didn't want people to think you were talking about. I just didn't
2: want people to think you were talking the about. A computer Alexa,
0: or that, <laughs> that <is> smart device. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're right. I have adopted an Alexa Amazon. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, so do you have any aspirations as a kid of like, oh, when I'm an adult, I want to be this. What What was it for you?
0: Um, no I I'm, <laughs> I did not have any aspirations when I was a child I um I was always very busy um dance music art friends um uh, cheerleading you know I did all the normal kid things um but I grew up in a family business and my dad would take us out on the job sites when we were like 11 12 years old and It was just a normal thing in our house that everybody was a little involved with the business. And so looking back, um, that was my normal, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that maybe that predisposed me as I got into college to just think, well, you know, having a business, your own business would be a natural progression. And it wasn't a scary thought to start something that was your own, um, just because that's what we were conditioned to believe. So, yeah, I, I I can't say that I was one of those intense kids that was daydreaming about taking over the world um, and starting a company. It was just something that happened later on in life for me, but definitely earlier um, than most people because I started the business when I was 24, which, you know, now isn't too abnormal to hear younger people starting companies. But I think twenty years ago it was not as common as it is today. So yeah. That's kind of the backstory on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. We'll, we're gonna definitely uh talk about your business and how you started But so you go to uh University of Northern Iowa, right? So you stay in yes. the state. Okay. And and then why pick yes. political uh uh, communication journalism major. What was the thought process behind that at 18, 19 years old?
0: Um, well, <laughs> civics, history, those were always my favorite subjects in high school. Um, I, I just loved learning about, um, you know, the history of our country, how things worked, um, how things got decided. Um, I also really liked Um, geopolitics and the international relations. So that just made sense um, to start with political communication. And uh, later on, I picked up the double minor in journalism and international affairs and journalism more out of um, necessity. um, I realized that hey, if you're going to be good at anything, any job, you have to be able to write and communicate, express yourself, try to be as objective as possible and how we're framing up our thoughts, our um, articles, our our PR, whatever. Uh, I worked in D.C., did a couple of internships. And my first internship was with the federal courts and their public affairs department. And that's when I really became aware of how important the journalism background was and being able to write and communicate and get the message out to the media. Again, this is over 20 years ago. So working with the press was a lot more critical and it was kind of the only means we had to tell stories Uh, But I loved learning about the judicial system, our federal courts, the judges, the inner workings of the press, um, the court system, the the public, and how things were perceived. And so I ended up staying on there through the summer. They hired me to work there um, as an employee, and I wrote for um, some of the newsletters and had the opportunity to interview a lot of the directors that worked and ran you know the judicial branch um so it was fascinating and i came back to school really inspired picked up a journalism minor and i believe i had already added the international affairs minor and so it it was really exciting it was an exciting time and i had even though you and i is a Smaller school, I had excellent professors. Um, I remember my journalism professor, uh, Nalia Dimitrova. I would go to her house on the weekends and she got me writing for the local newspaper and um, doing TV production, things that I really wasn't thinking about, but was open to getting outside of my comfort zone and and just putting myself in places and positions that I thought would help me. You know, um, when you're that young, you can't always see the big picture. You don't know what your career is necessarily going to look like. But and I kept going, wow, I'm accumulating all these skills and all these new opportunities. I don't really know where it's gonna go, but I loved it, like all of it, even the uncomfortable stuff, you know, even going on camera um in college and co-producing a local TV show. Like that's uncomfortable, unless you're you've been doing that as a kid. Um, so it, you know, it it put me in a position to get jobs that um, my peers weren't able to get because I had this wide variety of um working with the press communication, research, analysis, um, debating facts, producing shows and putting together concepts. And and again, I just go back to, I enjoyed it. And I think that passion gets lost as we get older. We think about our mortgage, our kids paying for college. And sometimes we have to compromise and that's life. Um, But things seem to work out better in the end. When it's, when we're doing things we love and that's what I have tried to, um, stay focused on my, during this career journey is do I love what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. And if I don't love it, why, and maybe it's better somebody else do that part of the work, or maybe it's just not for me, but when you're doing those long hours and making those tough decisions about what to do with your life you know, that's my biggest takeaway: is we have to love what we do, and if that is enough to nurture our spirit, then that's enough. And you know, some people are blessed to also find purpose in what they do, and that's beautiful too. You know, and if you get all of that in your life, well, you've accomplished a lot.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. So was that your biggest learning in college? Just, you know, you know, when you're passionate about something and like what you do? I mean yeah. that's pretty mature for a 21, 22 year yeah. old. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. Um I loved being uncomfortable. I was okay being bad at something mm-hmm. and taking that as a challenge. And the reward was when I was able to achieve it. And that kept me moving because that's progress. I'm a very progress-oriented, data-driven person. And I love the arts, like even as a kid. And um, so I felt like I was doing um, the right thing, what was nurturing my, my career, my passion, Um, And I was also comfortable not having all the answers, but I had great mentors that I trusted and consulted with weekly. That grounded me in this, you know, going through college or immature, you, you don't necessarily know what you want or what the right things are to do. But if you can surround yourself with wise people that are worldly and all of the mentors I worked with in college um were international um they came here from other countries. Their perspective was more about global competition, not about competition that was going on in our backyard, which I think also we get lost in you know um sometimes where we live isn't reality and it's important that all of us have a deep appreciation for the, the global competitive economy and, and how we stack up on a global scale. Um, and I, I just feel like our world is so much smaller than it's ever been, mm-hmm. right? So these skills and learnings early on and developing, um, cultivating emotional intelligence is really important.
2: So uh, Val, I don't know what your GPA was or what your high school uh, GPA was, but I'm going to guess you were a pretty good student. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's well, true. That would have been my guess. So I think it's fascinating that I, I you know, I, I would say you know I, uh, I was a very good student also. But I think when you're a good student and you're you're successful at things, you you know, it's that Carol uh, Carol Dweck book, uh, you know, growth mindset. Um, you know, you don't have a growth mindset because you're fear failure. So where did you get that drive to learn and be okay with failure?
0: Um, That, that's a really interesting question. Very deep. Um, I was stubborn, I think is the best way to describe it. I've been, I've always been a little stubborn. And um, that stubbornness is internal. It's that. Um, I like a challenge. I like to be challenged and that is my measuring stick of if I'm progressing or not, if I don't feel challenged, uh, I get pretty bored and kind of check out. And I've, I've always been that way. Like, um, I have, uh, a busy mind and if I can focus and concentrate on something like, Oh, art or a creative task, or designing, creating a Uh, company—it keeps my mind busy and it keeps it engaged. So I almost—I don't know, chap—if I can answer that, I think it's a combo of personality and the way my brain is wired. I think some people's brains are just wired differently, and they have that drive and curiosity, and. I think that's often why we all see two kids in the same family and one kid is an overachiever and another one is very content, you know, with life. So it's just our makeup. Um, some of it could be environmental. Uh, I was always encouraged by my mom, my grandparents to, you know, to keep going, that there was always a high standard and benchmark um, to achieve things. But I also, for people maybe that aren't wired that way, I feel like this is a, a skill you can teach your brain. Um, there are exercises that we can do to keep our brain engaged and active and focused and progress driven. And so even for people that want, you know, to, be that way, right? Um, I think it is attainable. Uh, there's so much we don't know about the human brain that you know, still to this day. But I don't know. Um, that is my uh, roundabout answer of telling you I'm not sure. Yeah. But that I, that's that's all I've ever known.
2: Yeah. So, um, yeah. I just your early experiences. You know, you were a news anchor. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about your working for the paper. It was the Waterloo Cedar Falls newspaper, right? The Courier. Okay, there we go. That's my in-depth research staff that came up with that. (laughs) What what was the greatest article (laughs) you wrote for them?
0: um, I actually wrote about um, Russia and U.S. relations. Um, I wrote about a lot of... Uh, just political uh, articles that were all international affairs driven. You know, my journalism professor, and I wish I remembered the title of the article, that she took one of my articles and submitted it for an award. And it won. It ended up placing. She totally did it behind my back, but I was happy that she did do it. And that opportunity um, originated from her good counsel. She said, you have to be published before you graduate college. And again, I'm like, wow, those are really high expectations. Yeah, wow. But, you know, she came from a different world and the, and she was very global in her perspectives. And I said, okay, you know, well, how do I do that? And she goes, you need to go over to the editor's office at the newspaper and tell him that you want to write for his paper. And I said, You want me to march into an editor's office and demand employment? <laughs> and she said, Yeah, I do. And I challenge you to do it.
1: Wow. And That's I did wonderful. it. I and
0: mean, he it really said, is. Yes. Yeah. And That's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So uh, you, you do have to have some moxie um, to do some of this stuff. But hang over, if somebody tells you this is the standard, it's acceptable. I guess, again, the worst thing that's going to happen is somebody says no, but when you say yes, they just opened up, you know, a hundred doors for you that didn't exist before. And that's what this life is about. That's what this country has been founded on. And the entrepreneurial spirit is about taking risk. And, you know, if it works out, great, maybe your dream comes true. If it doesn't, you try again and try again. So it's that persistence and and um, perseverance that we've all been told is the American dream that it's still alive. It might be a little more difficult today, but it's still there, it still exists. But teaching kids to do that and encouraging them to do it, even if they fail on their first attempt, sometimes it's just jumping in and doing it that matters most and they break through that ceiling and then everything after that is just another step to the final goal so i don't know that's kind of yeah. how i look at those things and even now we can maybe cultivate that with young kids even you know not even college but in young children
2: right Oh, absolutely. So, uh, so when you graduate, what what was your first kind of official professional job out of college?
0: Well, um, I was already working at the Cedar Falls TV studio covering city government. Okay. Um, I had that put in place before I graduated college, but I and I hadn't been there I think even a couple of months and one of the local state senators called me and said oh I watch your updates on on the local cable and I would love for you to go to the state capitol and be my legislative assistant and I yeah I was very excited about it you know those positions are seasonal but again I thought well this is another opportunity to, to develop some of the political communication skills that I've been wanting to uncover. And it's focused quite a bit on the journalism side of things. And so I went there and I had experience. And from there, I um, took a position in Minnesota where I was a little bit more on front with the media And all of this is leapfrogging, right? And being okay with not knowing where the end path leads at that time. And that's okay. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Now you're like two jobs in post college. So since you started the company 20 years ago, I mean, you have to now you're pretty close to starting the company, right? Or am I wrong?
0: Yeah. Pretty close. Um, I stayed in Minnesota. I did statewide and federal political campaigns and um, did all of the um, public relations, grassroots communication, worked in the war rooms with um, uh, donors and events. And I learned these skills in grassroots Um, mobilization, which in my eyes, this type of grassroots outreach was this kind of the foundation of social media, um, where you get niche communities swarming to a community to share Things that they bring them together, you know, commonalities. And it, it really all the social media stuff started at a grassroots level. I mean, if you look at this Facebook, how that began is very much grassroots. So I got this grassroots experience really early on and I was fascinated by it. I also started developing um, a little bit of discouragement with the overlappings of politicians and the media and how easily manipulated the press was and I started seeing that really early on in my career in my early 20s and I you know started feeling a little jaded about wow this definitely isn't uh, neutral or objective like all these press releases press events really does spin the cycle of news. And I kind of just started getting a little bit of a sour attitude about the media at that stage. And so once the campaign cycle was over, I went to the legislature in Minnesota into all of the spinning uh, (laughs) with (laughs) the press and and, uh, more legislative affairs stuff. And I had my fill of it or, you know, it was almost too easy and ridiculous and yeah, so uh, I am not really surprised by the state of affairs that we have today and how people feel about fake news and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I started my business shortly after that and started in Overland Park. And with my skills working in um, Vermont and with politicians, I actually worked on I want to say it was about 20 political races uh, in 2003, uh, 04, maybe 05 uh, here and did all of these same things and enjoyed it and was very grateful for the opportunity to have the trust of elected officials and local leaders. I hadn't been living here that long Uh, I was only 24 and felt like I had so much respect and trust from people that didn't really know me. I did it. I worked my tail off, you know, I worked seven days a week around the clock campaigns are really tireless, thankless uh, jobs and did it and was grateful for it. Didn't complain and realized that, Hey, this is seasonal work and I need to figure out a way to make this residual. And that's when I started breaking off and working with, um, corporations and applying the tactics and skills of PR and journalism and pitching people stories to the private sector. And, Again, like it's seizing opportunities. It's looking at ways to optimize your business and making it stable. So I I started transitioning about a year into the business, into the private sector. And, you know, we don't do many political work. We haven't done any political work, um, you know, since those early days. And I prefer to just be neutral and I enjoy working with business leaders business owners um up and coming executives and people all across the board and i'm i'm very grateful for all of the companies that we have made a contribution in building so the back to this pr thing um we started using media in 2005 so again very early to the table when innovation and testing, and, uh, not being afraid of what we don't know about it, and what it's going to do, just monitoring it and capturing data and maintaining some sort of hybrid approach to helping our using, you know, the traditional media along with the social media in
2: 2005. So now it's, it's so fascinating to me. So but you're, you're 24 years old. And, you know, and,
1: uh, yeah, you know,
2: I think we talk about it offline, like, you know, today, it's not totally unusual to start a company at 24. Uh, I just entered, no. interviewed Cody Isabel or published his podcast, uh, just came out, uh, episode 30 and, you know, he, he started a company at about 24, 25, he's 27 now, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me. Like you're, you're talking, you know, early 2000s, you're 24 and, you know, wherever you want to say, uh, you know, uh, you know, female and it, it just, you know, what like drove you to say, okay. I know the family business, which I'm curious what the family business was, but I mean, and so you're, you know, you model yourself as your family and that's usual for you, but like go, go through your thought process at 24 and say, I'm going to start this company.
0: So when I was in DC and working at the public affairs department for the federal courts, that's when I noticed oh, wow, this is really cool. They have an editor, a TV department, um, a research department, events, like they have um, uh, media relations, they're doing all these things. And I really loved it. I was like, this is very cool. And I started thinking about my experiences in TV and with PR and and all the stuff that I was learning. And I And I, I actually started visualizing what that might look like if I started something like that in my mind, I hadn't even graduated college yet. And I was thinking that would be really cool. Like I, I mean, wow, you get all those different mediums, um, all those different, um, types of content and stories and, I don't know, again, it just sparked an interest and thought it was really fascinating and thought, wow, I might wanna do that someday. So I already kind of had the thoughts in my mind and thought, well, okay, I'll just finish you know, what I'm working on here. And so when I did move to Overland Park, I was obviously in between jobs and said, well, I'll just go ahead and see if I can get some consulting work. And that's what I did. And that's kind of how this business started. It wasn't something where I sat down and went, today, I'm going to create a full agency. It was more, oh, I'm in between jobs. Okay, this sounds like a good idea. I am going to put my name out there and see what I can do. And again, like I just go back to if you love what you do, if you're grateful for your opportunities and you're in the right time at the right place and you're a hard worker and you're good to people, then that is all going to manifest in something better and better and better. And it hasn't always been easy. It's not easy. It's still not easy, but if you love what you do, you can overcome that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I guess, those thoughts were there and the passion was there. And who knows, maybe I was just also a little naive, right? I wasn't totally jaded by obstacles of life and still had this very naive innocence about how you accomplish things. And I'd always had support to do mentors as far as support goes. I never got any financial support, but I had really create mentors and that encouragement to keep going. As far as the family business goes, my dad still has a commercial painting business and his dad had a commercial painting business. And my great grandfather ran butcher shops in London and who knows how many more entrepreneurs there are on that side of the family. So, wow. you know, sometimes they see this stuff is genetic, you know, yeah. it's just in the blood in DNA. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And I'm a firm believer that that stuff is passed down and it becomes normal. That's just normal for some families to do that. Yeah.
2: So uh, you mentioned you have mentioned mentors several times and I was uh, going to ask yeah. you. So, yeah, I think it's very uh, key. At, uh, mentors are good yeah. at any age, but especially when you're a 24, yeah. year old entrepreneur in the early 2000s, <laughs> uh, female entrepreneur. Who were your mentors and what, what were the biggest learnings from them?
0: Well, they definitely changed over time. You know, my, my journalism professor, she still calls um, and checks in, and she's actually had me speak to her students over the years and give advice, and I've done so nice. so happily. And so she she's kind of been consistent, but, you know, they've been people I've met in business, Some longer than others and some, you know, you just, it just kind of a natural evolution of a mentorship relationship that um, develops and in all different types of industries. It's interesting, almost all of my mentors, except for probably my journalism professor have been men. And I have appreciated their perspective. Not that, you know, there weren't women out there that couldn't give a good perspective, but a lot of the women I felt like were great supporters and cheerleaders and champions, but men really stood up and helped me. They gave great advice. Um, they gave it from their perspective. I don't feel like I got different advice because I was a woman nobody ever said to me oh because you're a woman you need to do it this way sure. and I had a very positive experience I mean some women talk about oh you know women just need to stick with women and and I am a huge advocate for women huge but when it came to the mentoring I liked this more I, I wouldn't say more aggressive, I would say just different style, more direct, more analytical, more honest and candid. and you know i I'm a data scientist it's along with being a creative person, and so that worked well for me, you know i I didn't feel like I was being talked down to. I felt like I was being challenged to think about things from a different perspective that was more analytical. And women do that too and do it well. But I was more comfortable with this style. So I don't know. I think it's different for everyone, but that's kind of – and a lot of the mentors I had were in tech, software, finance – so, again, very data um, techie industries um, were some of the mentors that I worked with.
2: Now, so it's interesting, you know, uh, commu- you know communication, journalism, PR, um, mm-hmm. but then you get kind of this data analytical bent yep. to you. Was that, in- you know, did you grow up really good at math or does that just become <laughs> a passion the more you talk to these mentors that were in the tech space?
0: I uh, was not great at math. In fact, the only B I got in college was in math. Oh, so I wasn't terrible at it, but I didn't, you know, was I wasn't acing math, but I did well in my like data science classes. And uh looking at patterns and trends, yeah. that stuff is easy for me and I think I've gotten more comfortable as I've worked in the business because all of the business decisions are based on data and margins and metrics. And that's what social media brought to the table. So whereas PR was just, oh, that's a fluffy thing. And we you this press coverage, clients actually started pushing back and saying, oh, this is great. Like, you know, I'm on the cover or I have a full feature. That's fantastic but what does that mean? What's What does that translate into? And again, me, I'm like, oh, this is a challenge. Like, oh, how do I figure this out? And then social media started surfacing and it was all web traffic, um, search placement, um, impressions and clicks. And uh, it was almost like, you know, getting Christmas early. You're like, wow. Okay. I can quantify everything I do and share it with the clients. Look, all these numbers and you got all this traffic and then that converted to this. And so my brain was (laughs) happy. It made it, it made it happy. It was like, oh, all this creative work we do now we can justify it. And it it's the perfect marriage for creative people. And a few years ago it was it would have been probably right before the pandemic uh, I actually got a certification in the intro to a i and loved it like again, just ate it up. This is fascinating. Wow, we're gonna wire the world differently, and there's big challenges and ethics issues on the horizon, but this is fascinating. And so I I think it all amplifies what we do on, on the creative side. And it also makes good business sense. And when things just are practical, it helps businesses thrive. And I recognize not everybody has those skills. But I, you know, would hope that anybody that starts a business has somebody really good with, you know, the finance, or with data and patterns and doing those types of analysis. For us, we just have to do it. And the job of the marketer has become more of a hybrid role using creativity and technology, which includes reading reports and running reports. Thankfully, as marketers, we have a lot of AI tools at our disposal to help us build those reports faster, and we don't have to sit there and crunch numbers, but we do have to be able to look at trends, patterns, and do analysis on it. So I think, again, all of this is the byproduct of having a business, thriving in the business, and looking for ways to optimize it and ultimately make clients more successful.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's a fascinating time for sure how, you know, AI and MarTech, um, you know, are going to change the, the, the landscape of, of marketing uh, going forward. Yeah. So uh, I did see on your LinkedIn, you took that Coursera course on AI. Yeah. And so what recommendations do you have, Val, you know, if you're a chief marketing officer or just anybody uh, that yeah. wants to get like some just some ground-level conceptual information on AI. What recommendations do you have in terms of learning that?
0: It is a vast industry. And it in as far as marketing goes, I mean, here's the scary part. There's 10,000, at least 10,000 tools, software, whatever you want to call it, platforms out there mm-hmm. in the marketing technology space. And I've been doing a few speaking engagements around the country on Martech and AI from, you know, the perspective of, well, where do you start? How do you know what to use? You do have to narrow the focus down um, for us because we consider ourselves a growth marketing agency. We're using tools and platforms that amplify growth and automate, um uh like workflows or um reports. But right now, anybody that's in marketing needs to be following along with the chat GPT and all the different outputs. The chat GPT provides and experimenting with it. Uh, all of what's coming out of Chat GPT is, is also affecting the search engines. And so, everything that we do from a marketing standpoint, you know, putting up a website, adding content to a site, having content plans, writing social media posts, doing any ads, I mean, all of this is being impacted by Chat GPT and other generative AI. Um, platforms that are out there. And so all of the marketing publishers are talking about this. Google also has its own um, resource area, but you know, what I'm doing, I really like Neil Patel. I like how he breaks down complex algorithms, trends, uh, AI stuff, and makes it user friendly, makes it applicable, gives people some steps and tips to start with. So again, like everybody has a different style and they're at a different stage, but I think Neil Patel is a really great resource. He sends out a regular little e-blast. It's just very short and sweet with a link to a blog and a video. And he's very on top of these things. But again, you can kind of get these resources anywhere. But I would focus on chat GPT and the Google SEO changes that are in place. And then, you know, just kind of let it evolve. Uh, everybody's needs are different. And that's kind of what I say in this talk I give is, It depends on your marketing team or your agency. Are you needing to automate and consolidate? Are you needing tools to scale sales and marketing? Are you looking for ways to create MarTech stacks? Like every, again, it's like it is no one size fits all. And nobody is going to be able to master 10,000 plus programs out there. So, but the basics are, in the disruption is coming from the AI with the chat GPT and just the Google algorithm changes and a few other things that are going on. So it's a lot.
2: Yeah, but, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, great. would love to hear that uh, talk sometime. Um,
0: okay. Yeah. So, I
2: mean, two decades of running a company in a very fast Evolving space, right? Technology and uh, but so, how have you evolved from you know when you started twenty years ago to to today in terms of the, your company?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that um, reinventing a business many times is essential and an essential skill and something that all entrepreneurs need to be comfortable with. And we, I mean, we, all of us have read stories about these big corporations that have been hugely successful. And then like almost overnight, they're out of business because they didn't evolve or adopt new technologies or were maybe in some cases too big to change. You know, that's also a scary thought. So being agile and always kind of having one or two people, or if your group is bigger and you're fortunate to dedicate more people, um, to research and development and testing things, I think is so important. Uh, I, I feel like not only spotting trends, but also doing early testing is key to survival in any industry this day and age, but Back to your question, I mean, this, the business has, oh man, it's nine day. Like when I started, it was crossroads political PR, and then a couple of years into it, it we were starting to work with um, private companies and then exited out of the political and then 2005 started integrating social media and we were doing influencer research assessments for Publicly traded companies. Probably in two thousand six, two thousand seven, we worked with um, a big consumer research group out of New York City. Um, we were like their guinea pigs. I mean, they even had us take profile tests on like what, how did we work as a human? <laughs> Why were we so early in the social media? And then they had us running pilot programs. Um, for their uh, consumer research marketing, which was so interesting, and we were analyzing influencers that may or may not have been, you know, influencing the ethanol industry and what they were saying about it. I mean, all this stuff was very, very cool um, very early on. and um there was a lot of fast growth. I remember I was pretty, overwhelmed and stressed out. I didn't get a normal um, lifestyle for my, my peers. When I was in my twenties, I was, you know, sitting at my desk until probably eight o'clock at night on Fridays and working through the weekends a lot of times too. And, and that was, you know, that's just part of the deal. Uh But uh, it, I started to, you know, talking about social media marketing um, and it, it, It was more than just social media. It was social media marketing because we were sending traffic to websites and and studying the trends and analytics, conversions. And so the business changed and moved out of this kind of PR-ish focus um, completely, oh, I don't know. It was probably 2007, eight-ish because we had been already working in social media since 2005. And I rebranded the company, Jennings Social Media Marketing, again, really early on. And now, uh, it was probably during the pandemic, I changed it to Jennings Social Media and MarTech, because we are so focused on marketing technology and AI programs and Uh, have a hybrid approach to the work that we do, but, you know, right now it is a full service social media, marketing, and digital advertising agency. And everything under that umbrella includes like websites and influencer marketing, paid media, social media, and content creation, SEO, creative services, and Martech consulting. Wow. So yeah. it is hugely different than where we started.
2: So do you, I mean, you go back in time when you started, and obviously you make sacrifices, but, you know, your peers are out at happy hour on a Friday night and you're, <laughs> right. you're working till eight o'clock. But, I mean, is there anything you would have done differently when you started the company and, you know, let's say the first you know, four or five years knowing what you know now?
0: Yeah. So when I started, I was very consumed by, oh, am I going to be able to make enough money to pay myself and live? And I think that's normal. I mean, every year that I've had the business, we have always been in the positive. We've never had a year that we were in the red and in fact, we've had huge growth um, again in the last couple of years here, like massive growth. But I wish I would have found someone that could have mentored me more on balance sheets, profit margins, um, projecting cash flow. I didn't know anything about that stuff. I didn't take any business classes in Again, math wasn't my strong suit, so I didn't gravitate towards that stuff. And really, I didn't even know about it. I didn't know what that story, I, I didn't even have those words, my vocabulary at that point. I did hire a CPA and, you know, and that was just to make sure everything was on the up and up and we were following all the tax rules, but I really needed a finance person that uh, could have helped me with those things because they're two totally different roles. A CPA doesn't typically do that. So you need a person that's really good on the finance side. And I think as the business has matured, we spend a lot more time on those topics. And I expect that, you know, in time... Somebody would figure this out, but if you don't know about it and you're starting a business, this person, whether they're a part-time, a contractor, a consultant, oh my gosh, if I would have had that, we would have probably done so much better because I would have been focused on a different model, like maybe a different financial model or how I sold services or packaged them or, you know, how we paid people or how that was going to scale. Like I had, I was just guessing. So that I think, well, I would have done that differently. And I wouldn't say it was a setback, but it certainly slowed growth down. And so for people that don't have that background, or maybe it intimidates them, find somebody and pay that person because they're going to help you grow your business. And you're going to find out really quickly if you have a viable business, you know, these are, they're going to be giving you metrics and numbers that show you how well you're doing, what your margins are, which clients are profitable, which ones aren't, where did you undersell or maybe not staff correctly? But that's tough. Like that's what really makes a business strong. And when a business is healthy, it's because that side of the business is very stable, set and well taken care of.
2: Sure. Yeah, no, that's great advice. You know, so uh, I love Seth Godin, uh, you know, and he says no one, you know, we talk about elevator pitches, but he says, you know, no one's ever sold anything in an elevator. But if you're riding (laughs) in the elevator with somebody and you had to explain Jennings, uh, social media and Martech, their superpower, what's that elevator? What do you say to that person in the elevator?
0: Well, you know, I always explain that it's a social media marketing and digital advertising agency, but I qualify it with, we are a growth marketing agency. No two agencies are alike. Mm -hmm. Our focus is on growing our clients, businesses, and brands. And it starts with what those goals are. And if it's to generate more website leads then we're going to build marketing programs and ads programs to do that if it's to build the brand then we're going to focus on maybe influencers and something else but i always qualify that because i feel like this industry is very crowded and people do not realize that those agencies have you know nuances to them and that's our niche And we we're proud of that. And we love what we do and people respect it and they get it. And then when they talk to another agency that comes at them a different way, they go, wow, I I had no idea, you know, there were night and day differences. So that's really my, my elevator pitch is, you know, what we are and then the qualification in the industry and how long we've been in business. And I kind of leave it at that.
2: Well, Val, you've had a great, fascinating career. You've won Female Entrepreneur of the Year awards, Top Woman in Media awards, Marketing Executive of the Year. So, I mean, it's, it's been great to have you on the podcast. I'd like to help two groups of people uh, to give advice to with, uh, from great leaders like yourself. One is uh, recent college graduates. When they're looking to pursue their first professional job and, career, and start their career, what, what advice would you have for them?
0: I would say do as many paid internships as you can do while you're in school because the competition is fierce and the applications that we receive, um, a lot of these uh, college grads have had multiple internships, have a strong portfolio and have already been freelancing. I think that is incredible. And I would also say that it's okay to not know what you want to do with your career um, when you take that first job, but try to stick with stuff that you really love. Like don't take a job just because you think it's going to pay you more money and you're going to hate it because then you're going to get a bad taste in your mouth for the entire industry and maybe end up changing direction. I've seen that. Um, And so that would be my advice. Um, Jeff is with those internships and sticking with the stuff you love and knowing what you're good at. And then also being open to new opportunities. And if somebody says, hey, do you want to learn SEO? Do you want to learn Facebook ads? I would almost always say yes, unless there is a really good reason why, you know, would be a disservice to that person. But I always try to say yes to things that made sense that were out of my comfort zone. And I we have to keep learning all the time. And so if they can keep that mindset of I'm going to learn, 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 and it's okay to fail and I'm going to keep an open mind and be able to receive constructive criticism, so I can grow and evolve. Those are so like at that early stage, that's so critical because you want to get better and you want to keep getting better. And if you can't take the constructive criticism, you're going to just stay in the same place. So all of those things combined is probably you know what I would come back to, and in, in the years that we've we've worked with many recent college grads that have kind of come out very green.
2: Yeah, no, great, great advice. The second group is uh, you were in your career, a couple of years, you know, whatever the time frame is, but now you have people that work for you. So you're, you know, a manager or you're a leader for the first time in terms of, you know, the, the HR organizational chart, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for them as they start their leadership journey?
0: That, is really, really challenging. We, you know, we have, (laughs) I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but we have a serious mental health challenge in our country, especially since the pandemic. And I know a lot of companies are struggling with how many, um, or how much involvement in, in, services and resources do they provide to people, um, I don't know if you know this, but anxiety and depression are at all-time highs in the country. Um, we see the suicide rates climbing. It is so difficult to be a leader and be a boss and just get day-to-day stuff done. And now we're you know faced with some of these more recent but more prevalent challenges of you know, that is an awkward position to be because somebody could be just struggling in their job, not because they're bad at their job, but because they're having other personal challenges. And it's, you can't always overstep those boundaries it's not appropriate. And we're really kind of between a rock and a hard place right now. And so the only, you know, advice I would say is, um, you have to stay very grounded, as a leader and stay very committed to your professional values and what you think is in the best interest of the whole group, which sometimes those are very tough decisions to make. And right now with all of this, that's kind of snowballing, not always easy to mentor people um, because some of the mentorship that they need is more on a personal level. And I've mentored lots of aspiring entrepreneurs and almost always in all of those conversations, it comes back to life issues and challenges and our lives are very complex and our time is very limited. And so I think, again, you have to really trust yourself Know yourself well, because if you're not comfortable with who you are and you're not healthy, you are not going to be able to help or nurture mentor any of the people that work, you know, below you or that are, I should say, reporting to you or trying to learn from you. Um, But as just a, you know, day-to-day leader, Jeff, I do not think the definition of a leader is that anywhere near the same as what it was five, six years ago. Yeah. And and what the expectations are that we're putting on our leaders, some of them, you know, I think impossible expectations, but yeah, that is, um, that's a tough role to be in, but again, you got to stick with the style and, um, and trust your intuition and, and do your best. And that's all you can do. And the ones that are the succeed, um, you know, maybe it's a few and far between, but really double down and invest in those people um, and encourage them. And the ones that are maybe struggling, do your best to encourage them and stay positive, but, you know, sometimes some things are a little out of our control. And I don't think corporate America is going to be able to solve all these new um, challenges that we're facing today. Um, I think that's the reality unless uh, we get some different types of resources and programs in place there. So that's my two cents on that. Um, it's very, very difficult topic right now.
2: Yeah, no, uh, great advice. Val, congratulations again on 20 years uh, as a as a company. You've had a fascinating career. I can see this conversation uh, uh, having a part two down the road, uh, but uh, thanks for being on the corporate couch.
0: Thanks, Chap, and um, thanks for having me, and it's a pleasure reconnecting with you, and congrats on all your success as well.
2: Thank you very much. Have a great rest of the day. Well, it's great talking to Val. I just think she's incredible. I mean, really a, a social media pioneer and at 24 in the early 2000s uh, to start a business as a female. I mean, it's obviously a lot more common today, but I mean, you know, two years out of college. Yeah. It just just incredible and what I loved about her too uh, and that's why I asked her if she was a good student and she said of course and that was obviously my guess but <laughs> you know most really good students you know they don't like to fail in things so if you're really good at you know math or history or science or all of them you don't want to try anything new for fear of failure you know so it's that failure mindset that uh, Carol Dweck and uh, her book Growth Mindset talked about, and she has a tremendous growth mindset, uh, Val does, and you know, she doesn't fear failure.
1: Yeah, and- yeah.
2: What did you take out of it, Joe?
1: The thing that I liked about her, of course, she's been in all sorts of different industries. It's interesting to see her talk about what her business started out as, and then they moved into this, and they moved into this, and moved into this. And she said, once they started in social media, She said that the abundance of data that was available then was almost like an early Christmas. And it sparked this new energy and this new enthusiasm that she had for marketing in general because literally every time that anybody clicks on anything now, a transaction is created and it can be studied and it can be quantified and it satisfied something in her life. It kind of reminded me of the of the uh, story from 1987, if you remember this, when Robert Bork uh, was nominated to the uh, Supreme Court and somebody leaked from a local video store, leaked all of the movies that he had rented from that local video store in an attempt to embarrass him. And I remember when that happened, that there was some discussion that, well, wait a minute, can anybody just go to any you know mom and pop video store and find a list of movies that, uh, that could be embarrassing to anybody they want to embarrass in public? And they interviewed a store owner and he said, no, because we can't keep that kind of history for anybody. We're running our whole business off of an IBM with only 32 mega disk drive in it, right? He said, we don't have a place to store all that history of everything that everybody has ever in, rented. And even if we did, what would we do with it? I remember that's what he said. This is in 1987. Yeah. What would we do with that kind of knowledge? Well, of course, we've, um, we've learned since then what can be done with it. Amazon has learned with what can be done with that. YouTube has learned what can be done with that. And Netflix. Netflix has learned what can be done with that. To the point that literally everything that you do, if it can be quantified, has a business purpose and some reason to exist. Um, yeah. And there will always be somebody like Valerie out there ready to consume that and send it back to the client and say, look, we studied your we, we studied your transactions and this is what we have discovered. I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it really is and and for our younger listeners what we're talking about in 1987 is you actually went to a store and got a vhs tape and put it in a vhs recorder or machine to play it back so just so you can uh wikipedia that uh video uh, video vhs tapes. i
1: miss vhs you know i kind of wish it was still around
2: well based on that joe what do you what, What kind of leadership wisdom would you like to impart on our listeners?
1: Well, um, now I've got a quote from the great philosopher and comic book store owner, his name is Stuart Bloom. One time when he was referring to an Iron Man helmet that was signed by Robert Downey Jr. And he said, okay, if you're gonna question the importance of an actor's signature on a plastic helmet from a movie based on a comic book, then all of our lives have no meaning.
2: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.